A couple of years ago, while we were recording an episode back in BBHQ, Rob mentioned the Carters Club, and he explained a little bit what was it about. It was supposed to be some sort of a, a book club for gamers, where the members of its community would agree upon playing a game and then comment about it as they go and then release a monthly podcast. It was a pretty cool idea, but it didn't make much of it at the time. But we slowly got integrated into this community because we realized that it was an awesome bunch of people. All of a sudden, our uh, releasing a show had the added value of receiving feedback from this community, which became incredibly encouraging for us. At its core, the, the Cartridge Club remains a community of gamers that just love video games so much that they want to talk about it and discuss it and share it with the rest of the community. But more than that, what I've noticed now that I've been a part of the club for uh, a couple of years is that its true value lies in, in the belief that gaming can be a very positive environment for a diverse community. Sometimes being exposed to gaming as a whole can be a, a bit of an unpleasant experience. But the Cartridge Club, one can always be sure that it's always going to be a positive experience. It's very, very peculiar in that sense. It makes me think sometimes that the Cartridge Club as a community is a little bit of a counter-gaming culture kind of thing. In my experience interacting with the Cartridge Club in its members, in its community, has been strangely and completely positive. In this week's episode, I talked to Diego Avila, also known as a Latino lawyer, who is one of the most beloved and active members of the Cartridge Club and someone who truly embodies all the great things that the Cartridge Club represents. I'm Seiji, and this is Bonus Bonus Barrel, episode 10. So thank you very much for accepting the invitation to come to Bonus Bonus Barrel. If you're okay with this, if I'll say a word. Okay. And you just say the first game that comes to mind. Okay. Is that okay? That's fine. Okay. Sounds like fun. The first word is uh, home. Uh, Metroid. The first one? Yes. Childhood. Uh, Mario Brothers. Joy. Uh, Aladdin. The Super Nintendo one or the, the Genesis one? Uh, I don't uh, acknowledge the Genesis one. <laughs> All right. Friendship. Uh, that's a hard one. Um, Tecmo Super Bowl. Nice choice. Family. Super Mario World. Love. Final Fantasy 7. Hate. It's a game called Fight Night for the Atari 7800. Nice. Obscure games. Um, hope. Ocarina of Time. Future. Shenmue. And this is the last one. Best. Super Metroid. First gaming memories. My first gaming memories probably stem from 1985 is when I think I got uh, my Atari 2600 and a number of games. So I, I immigrated to the U.S. when I was four. Uh, so in 1983, I came to the U.S. with my mom. My dad had already been in the U.S. for a couple of years, actually. I don't think I ever played a video game until around 1985. And my dad, I think, got an Atari 2600, kind of a hand-me-down from a co-worker of his with a lot of games. And 
I can remember playing uh, games on that system um, in this little apartment that we used to live in. And the games that resonate in my memory are Joust. I played that game a lot. Uh, I played the game Enduro, which was a, a really cool racing game that actually had different uh, weather effects, which blows my mind now that they were able to code that for Atari 2600. Um, I remember spending a lot of time playing Space Armada. Um, and I, for whatever reason, there were a lot of games that resembled Space Invaders. There were a lot of copycats. So Space Invaders, Galaxian, Galaga, Space Armada, they all basically were the same type of thing with enemies falling down from the top of the screen and you're at the bottom and you're, you know, going from left to right, trying to shoot while also finding cover. But for whatever reason, Space Armada was the one I liked best. So there was a time in your life where you had no contact whatsoever with video games. Yeah, I immigrated to the U.S. from uh, Honduras, which is a small country in Central America. And it's it is poor. It's a poor country. Um, I didn't grow up poor. All right. So my family in the U.S., you know, my my dad was able to go to university. My mom was in university. Um my grandparents, um, you know, had a house and I, I grew up with like a nanny, you know, and, and so back there that was pretty well off. But even then, like there was just no exposure to video games back there. Any kind of electronics usually took several years to make its way from the U.S. to that country. Even now, um, I have a lot of cousins and relatives that they're just now getting into things like Wii or Wii U. And here we are, we're playing Switch, it's 2018. Um, and it, it just it takes a long time. So when I came to the U.S., I had no idea what video games were, none whatsoever. And I remember going to babysitters or the apartments of children that lived in the same building as me and going to their uh, apartments and seeing things like, you know, a ColecoVision or an Intellivision and putting images on a TV screen. And this just blew my mind. Um, I remember getting a system of my own and still really struggling to understand that, like, I was controlling this thing. Like, it wasn't just a show that I watched. Like, I could input and the screen responded to what I did with the joystick. Um, so I, I distinctly remember that and it was a really cool kind of experience, but it took me a long time to adapt to that because it just was foreign. Do you have memories about like having fun before video games? Yeah, I, I really liked playing with action figures. I remember one of the very first toys that I got uh, in the U.S. was a little Spider-Man action figure with a parachute on it. And I loved that toy, and I would, um, I would go out onto the deck of our apartment complex, and I would let it drop, and then I'd run down the stairs and I'd pick it up, and I'd go back upstairs and I'd let it drop. I'd do that over and over, and one time I lost it. I lost the toy because I let it drop, and the wind carried it, and I couldn't find it, and I was devastated. Um, but I, I loved playing with action figures, and I would, you know, create adventures for them to go on. There's a picture of me when I'm, I think it's the first uh, or second Christmas that I'm in the U.S. and, and my parents, uh, I was still the only child at that time. I now have a, I, wanted, I ended up having a brother and a sister, but I was six years old when my sister was born and eight years old when my brother was born. So when I turned five and, and I was a five-year-old for Christmas in the U.S. for the first time, the photo of me is basically me, the Christmas tree, and the entire living room is filled with the toys that they got me for Christmas. And they're almost exclusively action figures, little army G.I. Joe guys, um, you know, and, and all the other kinds of just, you know, action figure toys. I was crazy about them. And, and easily could get lost uh, in that. And I remember getting to go see uh, Return of the Jedi uh, in the movie theater. Um, that's a, a vivid memory that I have uh, in Chicago. We were living in Chicago at the time. 
And um, I used to play make-believe, you know, with my friend in, in uh, kindergarten. And every lunch recess, we would, we would play on the, the playground set that had kind of a bridge. And so that's where we would reenact the scene of Darth Vader cutting off Luke's hand. And so we'd always make sure that, you know, it, it, was, it was a fight with our parents. We could not go to school with short sleeves. Because if you had short sleeves, you couldn't realistically, you know, tuck your hand in the sleeve and pretend that your hand got cut off. And I remember getting in fights with my mom because I wanted to wear long sleeve shirts and it would it was summer. And she's like, you cannot wear long sleeve shirts in the summer. And I was like, no, I need to have a long sleeve <laughs> shirt on. And then it comes, right? You get a hold of video games. What changed in your perception of fun? Uh... The thing with me is I have always been painfully shy. Um, so I, I'm the type of person that has a couple of really close friends because that's just the way in which I'm able to bond is with one or two people that I slowly build trust over. You know, my sister is a type of person that has like 50 friends and always is meeting new people. And, and that's her. That's her personality. And I'm not like that. But Video games were a safe thing to be able to say, hey, do you want to come play games? Um, and that is what I really remember video games enabled me to do was to say to kid in my class or the new neighbor when we moved to a new place, oh, do you want to come over and play video games? Um, and no one was ever going to turn down an opportunity to play video games. So I, I remember that being uh an icebreaker and that was a lot of fun and you just be, you know you would make a new friend because you would get to play games with them and this is more so than action figures sports or other types of games yeah because action figures like it's almost like um action figures playing for me was very much about the story i wanted to create and so it was you know me narrative building and it's hard to really do that collaboratively or cooperatively whereas you know the game it's it's there for you all you have to do is play and you know you don't have to create a, a background story for it and so at the same time too the rules are already set i remember it at a time when like i just didn't like the way that this kid was being very aggressive and taking his action figure and hitting mine with it and i was like no he didn't I don't want to fight right now. Like we're supposed to be like going on the adventure. And he was like, no, I want to fight right now. And I was like, <laughs> no, you're doing it wrong. And, and so with a video game, you're just playing the game. However, the level is set up, that's what you're going to do. Um, you know, however the game is set up, you know, that's what you're going to do. Did you split your time between, you know, playing with your toys, sports, with video games, or did you start favoring video games more? I don't think I started favoring video games more until I was older. Um, so when I had a 2600, uh, so I got my 2600, I think in 1985, I was six years old. And I got my, I got a 7800, I remember 1987. Um, and I got an NES in 1989 when I turned 10. And during that time, I was just as likely to go and play baseball or ride bikes or play with my toys or at, later on my play with my little brother and his toys like his Ninja Turtles or things like that as I was to play video games. And I also got a Macintosh around 1989, 1990, I think. And so the one thing that I'm reflecting upon this is I usually got systems or computers like towards the tail end of their lifespan. And, and mainly just because it was cheaper that way and that's what my parents could afford. They weren't necessarily like the coolest thing uh, and available. And so sometimes there was maybe a little embarrassment or something, but I, I definitely really, really, really got into games with the Super Nintendo. And I will blame Street Fighter II for turning me into a true video game-aholic. It happened until the Super Nintendo, you're saying? Yeah, so with, with regular Nintendo and the 7800 and 2600, I played games and I, I love playing games. Um, and I remember having excitement over games, but I don't ever remember wanting to stay up all night to try and beat a game. 
and I don't remember ever feeling motivated to beat a game. And I don't, other than Super Mario Brothers, the first one, and even then I used warps. Like, maybe one time I beat it, you know, levels one, worlds one through eight. Um, but I never really felt like, oh, you know, I've, I've got Batman, it's such a hard game, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it through all the way, or, or Ninja Gaiden. I loved Ninja Gaiden, don't get me wrong. It was one of my favorite NES games. But I, I had other things that were as equally interesting to me. Something about the Super Nintendo and the, like, the quality of the games on that system made me into somebody that just thought, this is a form of entertainment that I find immensely pleasurable. And it might have also been the fact that I was, you know, turning into uh, adolescence at that time and personality changes and more introverted and uh, things like that. So who knows? Arcades are huge in the States, right? Oh yeah, arcades were enormous. And I remember, you know, the most popular were Street Fighter II, Champion Edition, Turbo, and the Mortal Kombat games. But even even other games, I remember uh, playing lots of games in the arcade, like the, the light gun games, NBA Jam. Um, that was the heyday of, of arcades. So you were a Street Fighter guy, not a Mortal Kombat. I will always prefer Street Fighter to Mortal Kombat. I, I, I liked both and I played both and I, I had Mortal Kombat 1 and 2 on the Super Nintendo. Um, and But uh, I will always play Street Fighter 2 over Mortal Kombat. And were you like a single character guy or did you switch between characters? I My preference is for uh, Ryu, but I was the type of player that I wanted to be good with more than one player. Um, and I'm still that way. Like, you know, I got Ultra Street Fighter 2 for the Switch uh, when it came out. And, you know, first person I was playing with was Ryu. But I have always wanted to be balanced. And so I try to, you know, make sure that I play and practice a lot with Guile. Uh, the only one that I wasn't good a good player with was Zangief and mainly because his special moves require that like 360 degree rotation around the d-pad and I just could not do it fast enough um, <laughs> mm -hmm. in order to keep him from jumping and it just it seemed like the dumbest move that why do you have to do a 360 degree around the d-pad and hit a an attack button in order to execute a special move mm -hmm. these times are before the internet also were you the kind of player to explore the games or were you reading on magazines? Well, I mean, this was a big deal, right? You know, learning the special moves and fighting games in 92, 93, 94 was a big deal. I remember being in, uh, in middle school in eighth grade and just obsessed with uh, the special moves for Street Fighter II Turbo Edition and Mortal Kombat uh, 2 because Mortal Kombat 2 was just around uh, that time. And not only were there more characters, but there were actually multiple fatalities. Um, and so I did anything. I, I would uh, read the magazines. I would test the games at the arcades. And I, would, I journaled it. Like I kept the journal. And I was always into this idea that you would read about it in the magazines of, of people that created fanzines. I, in my childhood mind, always envisioned, like, I'm going to create, like, a fighting game fanzine. And I used to draw the characters on a cover screen and, like, you know, have a page. And I'd try and draw, like, you know, uh, Ryu and then say, like, okay, and this is how you do the dragon punch. And here's how the dragon punch is different in Turbo versus street, just regular. Uh, Ken's dragon punch is elongated and is in fire if you use fierce punch and da-da-da-da-da. So I liked the magazines, but I always preferred 
coming across a move accidentally if I could, you know, just spend enough time and had enough quarters. Yeah, because back then, like having a code, you know, having that piece of information that wasn't as available as it is right now will give you like a definite edge, right? Oh, yeah. And but it was also an era of a lot of myths. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there were a lot of there were a lot of things that kids believed you could do in the games that, you know, you could not do. And, you know, people would walk around and say like, oh, I I know how to do a Balrog total annihilation, you know, punch that'll wipe your energy completely 100%. And Balrog does have a a super powerful turn punch uh, in turbo, but at best, it'll drain half your energy. Now, you mentioned video games helping you socializing when you were very young. Now, you're an older kid, you're a teenager, and you mentioned that you became even more introverted. Yeah, I I think... Um, I moved around a lot. Uh, so moving was always a challenging thing for me because it was, you know, uprooting the neighborhood friends that I had, school friends that I had. And it made me, I think I struggled with some depression and anxiety over those moves. So I became more introverted during some of my teenage years. Uh, and, you know, video games were uh, an escape that I use. And I think with the SNES, um, some of that co-op play uh, diminished for me anyways. And I, I started playing games a lot more um, just by myself. Although one of my favorite memories is of um, having a sleepover. And uh, my friends and I, we beat Super Metroid uh, in one night. And we just were like, All right, we're starting. We're not going to bed until we beat this game. Uh, and and we beat it and it was one of the more exhilarating memories that I have of playing a video game because I think that's the first time that uh, I did something like that. So here, here I see that your gaming it's helping you with your anxiety problems with your depression problems also we're helping you you know get some friends together still yeah. at this age. I think it was a coping mechanism and you know even I've always been able to like the ability to talk about video games has always been uh, a wonderful gift, you know, at any age. And uh, at every age, I remember being able to sit with other kids in school or uh, at basketball practice or wherever. And if you just brought up video games, uh, it didn't matter, like, if you liked this person or not in a social context like suddenly you're not talking about who's cool or who's not cool you're talking about video games and everybody likes video games so um being able to talk about video games was something that i was able to do relationship with your parents uh did they encourage you or just discourage you to play video games they never discouraged me to play video games um you know what can you say uh a lot of males that I know have had uh, challenging relationships with their fathers. Um, and my dad, I think, really tried, but um, it was awkward for him. You know, he was very young when I was born, so I was, I was not planned. Um, and so I think he kind of felt like a little bit of his chance to have like a young adult life without responsibilities was taken from him. And so he liked giving me games and seeing me play them and me getting excitement over them because I think he kind of felt like, okay, you know, I'm getting to live a little bit through, you know, my son. And I remember he, he tried really hard to, to relate to me, but, you know, I, I know that especially in adolescence, the last thing I wanted to do was, was to bond with my dad. And that's so sad, but it was true. And, and um, I'm glad I'm to the point where I can, you know, really bond with my dad and and tell him I love him and give him a hug and stuff like that. But I remember he went to buy me FIFA International Soccer for the Super Nintendo when it came out. And I was really excited for this game. It had come out for the Genesis first and I was, I've been team Nintendo my whole life. So I just, it really bothered me that it came out for the Genesis first and that it was considered a great game on the Genesis and I had to wait extra long for it to come out on the Super. And, but when it came out, I remember he took me to Best Buy and we go to buy this game and I've got the cartridge and we're waiting in line and we're checking it out. And my dad asked the guy who's the clerk, so does this game have good graphics? 
And looking back, I realized like my dad was trying to bond with me, like say like, hey, you know, I heard this game has cool graphics, you know. And he want, you know, he followed up when I got home. Do you like the game? How do the teams play? And I was just like, yeah, dad, just leave me alone. I want to play the game. So my dad, my parents encouraged uh, me to, you know, have fun and do things that were fun and and age appropriate. And they never discouraged me from playing games. Uh, And I don't think I ever really abused it all, all that much. I just, in retrospect, if I could tell younger Diego... I would tell him now, like, you should have let yourself enjoy that time with your dad a little bit. Um, and, I, you know, that's something that I, going forward, I am mindful of with my own kids is uh, that when I have that opportunity uh, to share games with them, um, you know, what is it going to look like? Uh, how will I introduce it to them? My, my son, you know, has kind of figured out how to play uh, some 3DS games. And we're giving him a little bit of a break from it because I could tell that he was starting to get too attached. But it's just, he he actually started playing and is able to beat some of the levels in Super Mario 3D Land. He's two and a half and he'll get to the end and he realizes like when he hears the music play, when you get to the final part of the stage and you're just there at the flag and all you do is have to jump on the flag, he knows he's about to beat a level. And he will lift up his head and he'll look at me and he wants me to recognize that, yeah, you're right there at the end. And as soon as he gets to the flag and he jumps on it and it does the little dance that, you know, level cleared, he turns to me and he goes, I did it. <laughs> Two and a half. I know. Wow. It's, that's scary. It's really cool to see him. Um because I know that the very first time that I handed him a 3DS, you know, he, he, it was just a screen with like animation and he didn't understand buttons. He didn't understand the directional, uh, you know, analog stick. He just kind of was like, oh, this is a toy that daddy plays with and it <laughs> opens up and closes, but I don't know what to do. And to slowly see him kind of figure out um, stuff like that uh, is, is really amazing. It's just yeah, it makes me very happy. Uh, what about you as a student? Would you have good grades? Did you struggle? School was always very easy for me. I really liked school, um, and I really liked learning, and I was a very inquisitive kid. Um, and I wound up studying things that... Um, my dad was surprised that I chose to study uh, in university. So my majors were English and political science. And my family, they're all engineers. So my dad is a, a civil engineer. My, you know, my uncles are all like mechanical, elect- electrical engineers. And, you know, the idea was, you know, everybody in the family ends up doing something science-based. And I was good at math and good at science. And so... It seemed like the logical thing was to go and do this, but there was a different part of me that really enjoyed um, reading and writing and thinking about complex uh, theoretical problems. And um, that trumped whatever joy I took out of solving practical problems. But I liked, I mean, I liked it all. There wasn't really anything that I disliked. Uh, it's just I wound up choosing to do something different than uh, anyone in my family had done in quite a while. Do you think there's a relationship between the way your mind works now and your gaming tastes? I think so. Um, the games that I seem to enjoy the most when I was at that age, uh, adolescence, were games that uh, had some type of, how can I put this? So, you know, Mortal Kombat, your fighting games required specific technical moves. Uh, and they were very uh, time-specific, reflex kind of quick decision-making. Um, and also strategy, you know, you had to, you had to attack Chun-Li differently if you were 
Guile versus, you know, Blanca versus Ryu. And so I think those types of games I really enjoyed. I also, I like different types of games for different reasons. Like I've always enjoyed um, RPGs and JRPGs once I was introduced to them. They were not a game type that I knew about really because, um, you know, you don't see any RPGs at the arcade. But I remember being introduced to, you know, the Dragon Warrior series and Final Fantasy series. And those types of games, grinding is almost like a break, a mental break. And I like that. I like the ability to say, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to grind stuff. Um, and it would almost be kind of like saying like, I've learned a new math skill and um, I had to do 20 problems of stuff that was pretty easy because for whatever reason, I remember in, in school, you, especially in, in math, like, you know, there'd be a new concept, right? And you're learning you know, how to do a derivative in calculus. And then suddenly you have to do like 50 derivative problems. And really by problem five, you know how to do it. So you're just, you know, oh, okay, give me a new one. Okay, all right, give me an, an, another example of this. It's really easy. It's the same thing over and over. But I liked that. I liked that sense of like accomplishment. Okay, I got all my homework done, da, 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 da. And that's kind of what grinding in an RPG felt like to me. Like, okay, I'm up to level 12 uh, and I have this much power. So I should easily be able to defeat all these enemies within this vicinity or at this um, power base or with these types of weapons. And so I'm just going to do that and build up my level for, you know, a little bit more before I go venture out into the next, you know, phase of the world. And... That's definitely a way to enjoy those games for me that is very different. Like, I'm, you know, when I play fighting games, it's really intense because it's like there is there's no break. It's like you're thinking really hard and you're reacting and you're anticipating and you're looking for advantages and you're looking for a way to take advantage of what you think your opponent's weakness is. And so, yeah, I, I, I can definitely see parallels to the types of games that I enjoyed um, vis-a-vis -vis the way that my brain tends to work. In your group of friends, in the in your social sphere, was it also people that played video games on a regular basis? At, at what age? Uh, high school, let's say. Um, I would say in the first two years of high school, yes. And then in the last two years of high school, it was less talked about. I, I still had some friends that played uh, video games, but we talked about it less once you got to the point where you know people are almost able to drive a car um you want to get out and be driving cars and you want to go out and you know go out and do things without needing to have your parents give you rides so uh i i think that's a time when video games started to slow down for me in terms of the things that i was most likely to do but i still played them and i still for example I would still ask for video games for Christmas all the way through the end of my high school uh, uh, years. Um, you know, I don't think I ever stopped asking for those gifts for Christmas or my birthday, but it they just became less a focal point the more uh, independence that I gained as, uh, as an aging adolescent. But definitely in the first two years of high school, I remember most of my friends were people that played games a lot. And... Um, you know, we would talk about our favorite Super Nintendo games. We would, um, you know, trade games. I remember, uh, after I got Donkey Kong Country and, and played through it and beat it, I, I let my friend borrow it and he let me borrow, uh, a game that he got. And, um, and we used to do things like that, uh, quite a bit. And then I would say the access to vehicles was the number one uh, deterrent towards continued play. Mm -hmm. In my experience, at some point, I remember I'm still playing games, but, you know, people around me are not. So it becomes sort of a... It, it starts developing a sort of an identity for for me, at the very least. You know, that gamer identity, even though that gamer thing is like a new concept... 
but did it happen to you? Did at some point you found yourself like, hey, I'm doing something that is a little bit unusual? Um, well, actually what happened to me in university was that I, I didn't bring any consoles with me. Um, so, and that probably is a good thing. Um, but my, my first two years at the University of Wisconsin, I didn't have either, I didn't have any of my consoles with me and I didn't get uh, a Nintendo 64. That was my brother's system at, uh, that he got. And, um, the N64, I think came around the time right as I was going into university. So the games that I would play, I would play them at other people's dorm rooms, or I would play them on my laptop computer. I remember playing like Quake or uh, other things on, on the computer. And computer gaming, like over a LAN, that was still pretty universal in my experience. But console gaming had kind of become like, nobody 18, 19, 20, 21 does console gaming. And certainly if you're a male um, and a university and you're hoping to attract females that attend that university, you're not going to bring up the fact that you secretly wish that you could spend more time playing these console video games. Um, and so I, I don't think it was until towards the end of my university days that I got excited about console gaming and it was it was around the time of the release of GameCube and PS2 and kind of that next level of graphic fidelity suddenly made it cool because it was like wow I remember the Madden uh, commercial that came out for the very first Madden on PS2 and I just remember I was working at a restaurant as a waiter and one of the cooks and you know was an uh, older guy he was like in his 30s but that was his job you know he was we were standing out we were watching uh tv together and waiting for our shift to start and the commercial for madden for ps2 came on and the the cutscenes at that time looked realistic and he was just like damn you know i need to get that and that was the first time that it was like, oh, okay, I think adults play video games. <laughs> and, and it's okay to say that, you know, I want to get video games um, and, and play them and they can come back out of the closet and be a part of my normal routine. And, and really, from that point on, I never had any um, social anxiety about owning the fact that I, I like to play video games on consoles and um, buying them. And, and, you know, really what all that ever happened was that my age peer friends, even as a young adult, um, they, they'd be like, oh, yeah, well, that, that's cool. You know, let's play. Um, and I would encounter other people that, you know, were buying games as, as adults. And suddenly, like, this weird time frame of 18 through 21 where I was only playing you know computer games in my dorm room um, and pretending as if like I was too old and too cool for the N64 that was forgiven with the next generation and uh, that was my experience. And was that just an internal change in you or do you feel that the gaming industry changed? I think it's I think it's a perception of what occurred with me, and I also think not having a PlayStation because I think the experience of a gamer who was very loyal to Nintendo, um, and uh, in that time frame, really made it difficult to say I'm going to be in console gaming when I'm 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, when my option is an N64. And I hate to say that, but it's true because the competition was the PlayStation and the PlayStation was cool. And I'll be the first to admit, like I was envious. And I, I remember there were um, people that had, a, you know, PlayStation, we, I would play Tekken with them and, you know, we'd play, uh, you know, Madden on that or NHL or, or NBA Live. And um, it was a, it was a great system to have. And that was the first time, um, 
that I also recall talking to girls that played like console games and they were saying like, oh yeah, like I really love Final Fantasy VII. And I was like, excuse me, did that just come out of your mouth? Because I had never had that experience before. Like, and part of that is just because I, I was very shy and I didn't talk to girls, right? So I, I never had an opportunity to just ask the girls in all of my class uh, years, you know, growing up, like, so what games do you like? Because, you know, like when you had Jordan on, she played games her whole time. But, um, you know, I'm sure the boys that were in her class uh, just never bothered to ask her, like, so what games do you play? You know, it's like, girls obviously don't play games. Well, of course they do. Of course they play games. You know why? Because games are fun and, and people do things that are fun. Um, so that was really the first time that I, it, my eyes were opened up to the fact that like games are universally enjoyed and the platform to universally enjoy games during that time era when I wasn't into gaming as much was not the console that I would have picked up. I'm going to say it, right? So this, this is what I'm perceiving so far. You were actually like a like cool kid. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a dangerous assumption, Seiji. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Or why is it a dangerous assumption? <laughs> no, I mean, I was, a, I was a kid that could blend into different social groups. And so I was, partially it was unhealthy. It was, it was like I, I was a chameleon and I'd be whatever I thought, like, you know, the group that I wanted to be engaged with whatever they expected me to be. So, um, you know, I felt comfortable being with, you know, uh, the nerdy group, like the audio video club. I, I'll give you an idea. I played sports and I was in quiz bowl. That's the type of kid that I was. Um, so I just as much was comfortable and, and happy hanging out with like the mathletes team as I was, um, you know, hanging out with like people who were going to parties on the weekend. And I never felt that I had to choose one or the other. And so the reality for me was, is I, I witnessed people who wholly embrace like their, their nerdhood and say like, yeah, I'm, I'm a gamer. And and I think I'm a gamer. Uh, I've always been a gamer. But I went for a period of time where I just, I had other interests. And those other interests, along with the fact that I didn't have my consoles with me uh, when I went to school, um, because my parents said that they wouldn't pay for my tuition if I was just going to go play video games, um, you know, made it so that I ended up doing other things. But I don't think I, it was ever necessarily because I didn't want to be associated with it. You like video games now as an adult, your parent, and you listen to podcasts and stuff like that, and you're really active in the community. How's that for you? Where do you find the time? Why do you listen to podcasts? Why do you, you know, are still so involved in, the, in this community? Um, I got involved in the community almost by accident. So when I graduated from university, uh, I, I always played games, right? So in late nineties, early, the early aughts, uh, the internet isn't the internet of today, right? So you, know, you didn't have Twitter, Facebook, you know, uh, in late nineties or in the aughts. And so internet was more for like searching information about a game rather than having a community about it. And so my experience of it was I had a GameCube. I had a Dreamcast actually. It was the first non-Nintendo system other than Atari that I had uh, ever bought. And eventually I also got the Wii and eventually I got a Wii U. Uh, and along the way, I got a DS and a 3DS. So I've always been gaming. But I did not realize that there was this community about gaming that existed online until relatively recently. Um, and I think part of that is because of what I ended up doing personally and professionally. So I got married in 2006. Uh, in 2004, I started law school. 
So from 2004 to 2007, I was very busy uh, with just the academics of, of being in law school. And then after that, uh, with the professional life of being a new attorney. And so my gaming occurred, you know, whenever I had free time. For a couple of years, I was living in New York City with my wife. And uh, during that time, I really enjoyed uh, the DS. That's when I really discovered a love of uh, handheld gaming because it fit perfectly with subway rides to work or just a few moments here and there when you're living in a huge city and it's hectic and chaotic. Um, And even now, I tend to prefer to play games in a handheld uh, mobile format just because of quality of life and how full my life is. But when my son was born, it was a dramatic change in terms of the dynamics in my home life. So my wife had a C-section with my son, and so she wasn't able to um, be as physically active. And so we had a, a dog, and it suddenly became my responsibility to walk this dog. Um, and it's a big dog. He, he has a lot of energies, a mix of lab and other breeds. And so I had to walk this dog, you know, two, three times a day, 20 to 30 minute walk each time. And I needed something to do uh, to pass the time. And ordinarily, I would have walked with my wife and we would have just gone on walks and talked. That's what we did. We went on a lot of walks with our dog and we talked and we spent the time. And whenever I gamed, it was, you know, when she was asleep or, um, you know, doing something else. And I, you know, just game on and kind of like me as a gamer existed independently of the community. Well, I remember looking on my phone for just ideas of um, what apps should you get for your new phone. Because I think around that time I I got one of the Samsung Notes and I really liked the phone and I was like, okay, well, you know, what app should I have for it? And one of the apps that I got was uh, that this article told me to get was Stitcher Radio. So I, I downloaded Stitcher Radio and it said, you know, and you can download podcasts on any topic that you like. You can download podcasts on retro video games. And I was like, well, first of all, what's a podcast? And second of all, I want to hear whatever this podcast is about retro video games. Um, and I mean, that's just how out of the bubble I was, uh, because I was just like this attorney that worked and, you know, was married and I had a family life and a work life and, you know, it's, it's as if like 2004 through 2012, um, whatever happened online about developing a YouTube community of video games, a Twitter community of video games, I was completely oblivious to. So Stitcher Radio introduced me to n- numerous podcasts. And through that, I, you know, learned that like people that like video games um, also like to be in community and talk about their love of video games together. So I learned about the Cartridge Club through that. And, um, you know, the rest is really history. So I love being active uh, on the forums of the club. And I love uh, listening to the podcast that the community, this particular community creates. And I love Bonus Barrel and, and you guys. And um, it, it is like a little family where we just share about our enjoyment with these games. And it's a, it's a safe, friendly place to do it. And the way I find time for that is, you know, on my commutes to work uh, or commutes to other obligations that I, you know, go to. So if I have a 15 minute car ride, well, there's maybe a quarter of bonus barrel and over four you know, trips in a car, I'll probably finish an episode of Bonus Barrel. And, you know, uh, my children have a very kind of set schedule every day. Uh, My wife is really good with, you know, having a routine and uh, we follow that. And so that also usually means that she's pretty exhausted. Um, So generally my gaming time is between the hours of 9.30 and 11 o'clock. By 11 o'clock, I'm exhausted anyways, and I have to go to bed. Um, and so, you know, I maybe get like an hour and a half to game every day and that's enough for me. That's, that's really all I need because the rest of my life is so full. Like I would not want to be, 
the dad that you see in the meme where he's like holding his baby while also holding the 360 controller that that doesn't sound fun to me i would much rather prefer to just bond with the kids and wait to game at a later time and that's fine uh and and i find that that is the type of relationship that a lot of people in the club also have like Video games are an enhancement to a life that we have. Uh, that is the way that I, I think of this uh, hobby that brings me still to this day tremendous joy. And now I get to, you know, have that joy and that kind of um, community environment that I used to have when I was a kid. And, you know, it, it's that same kind of like excitement, like, hey, do you want to talk about this game? Yeah, let's talk about this game. And I... I I definitely appreciate that, and I'm I'm grateful that I stumbled across uh, it as opposed to just being somebody who would only know about games um, by passing by them at GameStop and trying to figure out from a vacuum, or maybe you know uh, trying to to find a review in EGM or whatever magazine exists these days, whether or not it's good. Um, now I have an entire uh, you know collection of opinions and people whose tastes I can say, oh, my taste is similar to this person's or oh, my taste is not similar to this person. So, you know, I can gauge their responses to video games and adjust appropriately as to whether or not I think I would like it. Your nickname is a Latino lawyer. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I started my Twitter actually, and I, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I, I, um, I deactivated that account just because uh, it became a time suck and a distraction towards the kind of life that I want to live. But I initially started a Twitter at the request of my employer at the time because he was big on like every attorney at our firm needs to have a public persona and, and you need to have like a Twitter account that highlights, you know, what would make you uh, a unique attribute to potential clients. And so, you know, his uh, suggestion to me was always to try and push the Latino angle, you know, let's get those Latino clients. And so I was like, whatever, man, um, I'll, I'll have this Twitter. I'm not really going to use it. And I didn't use it for probably two years until I realized that that was the way in which the gaming community, you know, was interacting. And so, um, you know, that's what I was on Twitter when I was on it. But in the forums, in the Cartridge Club forums, I'm just uh, Diego Avila 79. I'll say thank you. It was super interesting. The time uh, went by really quickly, so that's why I sort of like lost track. Uh, one more uh, thing to say, which is muchas gracias for por aceptar la invitación. Ah, de nada. Fue un gran placer. Igualmente. And that's it for this episode of Bonus Bonus Barrel. The main show will be back next week, and we are going to review Rob's favorite. Zelda game. Thank you for listening. Bye.